0: Friday mornings at 6 a.m. If you're part of the leadership team, you have to be there at 5 a.m. Some of the guys are there at 4.30 getting set up. And he said, why do you, why do, you do this? Why would you sign up for this? And uh, a couple men stepped forward and one dad said, I've done this in order to be uh, a better dad and to learn what that looks like. And his son was there. And his son said, and he is a better dad. And, I, and I'm trying to figure out what it looks like to be a man. And I want to know what it looks like to be a, a better husband uh, if I get married. And other men had some things to share. And then, and then one guy in particular said, I'm here because I can't do this alone. And it's not even healthy for me to try. I I could quickly withdraw, but I shouldn't be an island, and that is spot on. We were made for relationships. We were created for each other, and and we need, desperately need, good friends. So how are you doing on that front? Do you have really good friends? Right? People who love God and who love you and who know you, right, know the backstory, know not just the successes, but know the failures, know the fears, know the heartaches, know the struggles, they know you, and they're for you, and you are walking through life together. How are you doing on that? Last week, I, um, I challenged you to take a step forward towards God and to bring somebody with you. I leveraged the, the Esther passage, Esther chapter 4, that great challenge that Mordecai gives to, uh, to Esther, to his younger cousin, saying, don't think that if you, uh, you know, step away from your responsibilities that, uh, that you will be okay even if no one else among your people will be right? Mordecai says, look, God has made a covenant with our people. They're Jews. He goes, God has made a covenant with us. He will protect us. Salvation for the Jews will arise from another quarter if it's not you. But imagine that perhaps you have come into a royal position for just such a time as this. And I challenged you to think about the, the fact that life is not a series of random events, Right? You are who you are, you you are in the family that you're in, you're in the neighborhood that you're in, you have the friends that you have. As, As part of God's plan, he is working behind the scenes and we need to see some of the divine opportunities that are ours and leverage those and call others forward. And so I said, look, you need to do this Life of Jesus campaign and you need to bring somebody with you. Well, this week I'm making a similar challenge, but for a very different reason. This week I am suggesting that you need to do this, but you need to do it for, your, for yourself. And you need to be with others as you pursue God. We have this campaign. You're hearing about it. John Orberg talked about it. It's coming in a variety of different ways at you. The whole idea is that we're trying to make it as easy as possible for you to spend six weeks. pursuing studying the life of christ and to that end i've written this book and there's six chapters in it and so each study is around one of the chapters and there's daily devotions and there's some video supplemental teaching and the sermons tie in and everything ties in and we're trying to make this as easy as possible for you to gather some of your friends and to do this for six of the uh six weeks that start in september 15th and and i am suggesting today that that you need to do this with others for four different reasons okay? i'm not saying that you just need to better understand the life of jesus although i think it is it is the life of christ is infinitely deep and the more we learn the more amazing he becomes so yes we all need to study the life of christ but today i'm saying that you need to do this in community and i'm saying that for four reasons number one Because this is the way we were made. We were made for community. We were made in the image of a God who has existed from eternity past in three persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And He has existed in the perfect friendship with Himself. He has always been in community. We were made in the image of a God who has always existed in community. We need community. We need each other. When it was just Adam, it was not good. It was not good for man to be alone. Now, I'm not suggesting that you should never be alone no, we need to be alone. We need solitude. We need time by ourselves to to think and reflect and pray. Jesus got up early in the morning in order to have some solitude Today. many people exist in in what I want to call a no man 's land a a, mu- a messy middle. They, they have no solitude there 's lots of time alone, but you know, the, the cell phone is, is ringing, and you're doing email, and the radio is on. That's not solitude. Right? So a lot of people never get the solitude that we're called to. I'm certainly not suggesting that we don't need that. I'm just saying that, that a lot of people never move past the middle zone where we're always with people. Friends, neighbors, colleagues, clients, you know, uh, we're LinkedIn, we got Facebook friends, all that, it's good, all that's fine. It just doesn't go far enough. The call is to say we need some really good friends, a few people who really get us, who really know us, with whom we are open. We were made that way. Think about it. By God's design, we are born into a family, right? A, a, a web of relationships. It doesn't always happen, but it's supposed to happen. This is the design that we enter life through uh, a web, into an into a intimate bond of people who love and care for each other. And when we come to faith in Christ, we are then welcomed into the family of God and and the family of god there there are some instructions we are to love one another we're to care for one another we're to bear one another's burdens we're to confess our sins to one another we're to encourage one another to love and good deeds right there's all these one another's we are we are to do this together it is simply expected Now, I am not suggesting that you are expected to be fast friends with everybody around you or everybody at church. Can't happen. It it cannot happen. Even if this was a small church, couldn't happen. Not expected to happen. But I am saying you need some 2 a.m. friends. And my definition of a 2 a.m. friend is it's it's not just somebody you can call at 2 a.m., when things are suddenly going very poorly, right? When your 14-year-old daughter has not come home and her curfew was at 10. When, when you've had a fight with your spouse and they have walked out the door. When you're on your way to the hospital, the emergency room, right? I'm not, I'm not simply saying that there ought to be people that you can call at 2 a.m. I'm saying you need people that you could not not call at 2 a.m. Right? They would say to you the next morning, you mean you were out for, for three hours in the middle of the night looking for Stephanie and you didn't call me? You didn't call me? She was gone for that time and you didn't call me? How could you not have called me? Right. You need, I need, we need friends like that. We were made for that. Life works better with that. I saw a survey this week that said, a study, the report of a study that said that you could double the income of most Americans and it would not make them uh, appreciably as happy as if they simply had good friends that they could get together with once a month. We were made for community. We were made for each other. We need this. Secondly, The second reason I'm suggesting that that you do the life of Jesus Christ campaign with others is because this is the model of Jesus Christ, (laughs) right? If we're going to study the life of Christ, one of the first things you're going to see in the life of Christ is that after he comes uh, out of being baptized and, and emerges out of the desert, he goes from the Jordan River where he's baptized, he spends 40 days in the desert where he's being tested, then he emerges and he begins his public ministry and Early on, what he does is he gathers a handful, a dozen people that he's going to spend his life with. He's going to invest in. Now, there are some things that Jesus does that we cannot do. We can't even think about doing. We don't have to do it. He did it. But there are other things that he does as an example, as a model. And I think this is one of those things, right? He, he didn't have to go through life with other people. He didn't need anyone else, right? Right? he's God. He doesn't need others. But this was his plan. This is what he did. This is how he did it. He doesn't leave behind, you know, big financial resources for people. He doesn't leave a big infrastructure. He doesn't leave, I don't know, he doesn't leave buildings. He just leaves a small group. Right? That's, that's what he did. And, and I would say that's also what he invited people into. He invited people into relationships with others. He never said, look, here's, here's the deal. I'm, I am introducing a whole new kingdom into this world. I'm claiming it back. It's it, there's a different, there's a different, it's a new day and we're going to live differently, and we're going to love and serve differently, and the way, the way up is actually down, and a lot of things are going to be different, and I'm gathering together some people, and we're going to do this, and we're going to spread this. So I'm inviting you, but I know that uh, you're pretty busy. So you don't have to do the together part of this. And besides, you know, I've gathered some people that are, well, you know, they're not quite as cool as you are, um, Peter talks too much, and uh, Thomas is pretty negative, and don't get me started about Judas. So you can just do this. Uh, you can just do this offline, right? You can just audit this. You can just keep your distance when it's convenient for you. You can get together with others, but otherwise, you know, you're fine on your own. That's never the invitation, not extended to anyone. It's there's an invitation to come and to be with others. He invites people into community. And this, by the way, is what Paul does. Right? I mean, Paul is always with other people. Paul doesn't go to prison by himself. There's always a group of people around him. And this is what the early church does. For the first 300 years, the church doesn't have any buildings. It's illegal to be a Christian. And so they meet in people's homes. The church is a network of small groups. So... <clears throat> I'm encouraging you to do this together because this is, this is Jesus' model. We're to be together. There, there's a time for big corporate gatherings like this, but there's also a time to, to be with people who know you, and you're going you're to love and serve and encourage and walk through life together with a handful of people. The third reason we're being very deliberate and intentional about this is because we don't do community very well. Um, for starters, there's just the basic problem of sin. Sin leads us to hide. Right? When, for, when when we're reading in Genesis, when we see that sin has entered the world, the next thing that we see is that Adam and Eve are hiding. Right? and And... This is this is a, a metaphor for what we do. We don't run and hide. We don't go behind the sofa. I mean, we're not trying to stay away and avoid people. But we withdraw. We don't let people know what's going on inside of us. We put on a game face, right? We act like life is better than it is. And there's a part of this where that's okay because you can't, you know, you can't in public life wear your heart out on your sleeve it's not for everybody to know everything that's going on in your life that would be inappropriate but we have to recognize that we hide from some people we shouldn't be hiding from and and that's because of sin and specifically because of pride a second reason we're not very good at this is because most of us here are americans and americans are particularly bad at this our folklore is about the the lone ranger the rugged individual who rides off into the sunset by himself, and and we're not just americans many in this room are rich americans and if you if you have money then you don't need other people to do the things that most people need other people to do right i mean most of the time most of the world people have to get along with other people they have to get close with some people Because it's the only way you can get things done. But we've got enough money that we can just pay other people to do things. And if it's inconvenient for us or we don't like somebody, we can just avoid them. So we've we've got these challenges as Americans. And I think most people today get that the idea that you're going to do this alone, right? I mean, the bowling alone, this book that comes out and says, you know, Uh, wow, Americans are becoming ever more isolated. Uh, They're bowling just like before, but they're not bowling in leagues like they used to 20 years ago. They're bowling alone. I mean, I think most people get that's a bad thing. But I don't think we really appreciate just how much of that we actually take in. I I remember being shocked. I mean, you almost have to get outside of your country or outside of your culture to realize how much Americans think me as opposed to we. Uh, I, I work with this group for the last 15, 20 years, Scholar Leaders International. We've, we fund um, uh, majority world Ph.D. students, provided they're going to go back to their home country and continent as, as senior leaders in the church. And a number of them are, are always here at Christ Church studying at Trinity. And, and um, a number of years ago, I got a call. One of our scholar leaders had been accused of uh, cheating on uh, a big exam. So I go, big deal, a PhD student cheating on an exam. I go over there, and I find out that uh, he's saying, oh, absolutely, I did it. And I am just indignant that anyone has a problem with this. Now, he had not received information. He had given information. And he said, it's pretty clear to me as so the class went on, That I was one of the smartest students in the class. So I just assumed that it was my responsibility to make certain that everyone who was not as strong at this as I was got the benefit of my help. So yes, I helped them during the final exam. In my country, if I had not helped them, I would have been chastised. Pete, my professor, would have said, you call yourself a Christian leader and you let your brothers or sisters do poorly on this exam? You're only looking out for yourself? He goes, I get over here and suddenly everybody's for themselves and I'm not supposed to help anybody. And I said, yeah, we don't really do that over here. You can help right up until the moment that the exam is passed out. And then at that point, it's every person for themselves. But I realized, right, that's just, that's just the way we think. We think that's a good thing. And other people look and go, why would you think that way? There's a whole lot of our default assumptions as Americans that are me as opposed to we. I would remind you, we don't pray. My Father who art in heaven, we pray our Father who art in heaven. We are in this together. We are in community. That's the way it is supposed to work, and we don't do this very well. There are other reasons why, as Americans, we don't do community very well. We tend to be too busy. We move around a lot. I mean, there's just there are some challenges here. But the net-net is that uh, we lose. And and we have fewer and fewer friends every year. Longitudinal study just came out again about a month ago, said uh, Americans today have fewer friends, fewer good friends, than they did 10 years ago. It's at the lowest point since we've been collecting data. Wendell Berry, a critic of much of contemporary Western life, said that in years prior, neighbors used to, sit until dark he says you know after the work of the day was done on the farm or whatever you would walk after dinner you'd walk over to your neighbors and you would sit on the porch you'd sit in the living room and you would sit and talk until dark and you would tell stories to each other and you would share your life he said today we don't know our neighbors we invite strangers in to tell us their stories he's talking about tv we invite strangers in to tell us their stories. We tell our stories to the police and to therapists. Ouch. <clears throat> now, I think that I am in a, uh, a unique position to see how, uh, how desperately we need to get better at this. Both because of my own experiences and because of the observations that I have as a pastor. My own experiences are that, like many of you, I grew up having friends and not thinking about it. All through high school, two really good friends. We did everything together, shared everything together through high school. We went to college, I joined a fraternity, 70 brothers. Among those 70 brothers, there were, there were four or five that I got particularly close with. Went to seminary, had made a couple lifelong friends. Got out of seminary, got married, moved across the country, started a job, and about two years into the job, so two, two and a half years into marriage, we were having a discussion one day. And in this discussion, Sherry said, Do you know what your problem is? And she then proceeded to say, Your problem is you don't have any friends. But what's so sad about this is that you don't even realize that you don't have any friends. To which I said, Friends? Friends, I got so many friends, I can't keep track of them. I got friends you don't even know about. And she said, those are not friends. You don't have so many friends, you can't keep track of them. You don't have friends that I don't know about. You don't have friends. You have all these people in your life because of what you do, but you don't have any friends. Now, it would take probably a year for me to to really understand that she had won this argument. And it would take a little longer for me to admit that she had won the argument after I came to understand it. And it took a while for me to then realize I was going to have to be intentional about this. I mean, I was going to have to make time for this. I was going to have to think about this. And, And that's what I had to do and have done. And so I now there's a couple guys that I touch base with several times a week. Right? And and a lot of it is just basic, you know, catching up and male banter, but some of it is is deep and transparent sharing of our lives. Any question can be answered, every question will be, any question can be asked, every question will be answered. And it, it is it is a grace-filled safe place. No secrets. Understood and accepted. That takes effort to get there. But it's life-giving to be there. So I, I get this from my own experience. And then I see this as a pastor, as I've shared before. You know, I, I walk into some hospital rooms and the room is full. And there's a small group there and people there and, and family there and neighbors there. And, and everything's taken care of. I don't need to be there. And there's other times I walk into a hospital room and I realize I'm the, I may be the only person that's coming. And no one's been here. Right? And those are such dramatically different experiences. And I'm in conversations where I think, okay, the, the problem right now that you're having in this marriage is, is because you, you, you don't have other people in your life. And I love to hear someone say, my spouse is my best friend. It's great. But your spouse can't be your only good friend. That's too much pressure. That's too much responsibility. You can't can't do that. In a variety of ways, in addition to seeing the the call to community in this book, in addition to seeing that, there's there's just a recognition in life of seeing that lots of people... Lots of us are not doing this as well as we could. And so the third reason that I have said that we're intentionally inviting people into community is because we're not doing it very well. And the fourth reason that I'm doing this is because entering this kind of relationship, you know, uh, having people that you grow close with over time is not hard. (laughs) There's nothing hard about it. If you get together with a handful of people and share your life and you do this consistently, you will grow close to them. It happens. It's the way we're wired. But somebody has to make it a priority for this kind of thing to actually start. Now, there are some... I don't know, rules, there's some uh, social dynamics that have to be considered. First of all, somebody has to actually share a little bit about what's actually really going on in their life, and it has to be perceived to be a safe place. I mean, you can't get together and talk about your Aunt Maud's cat who was last seen limping, and, you know, it's a concern to you, right? It, you've been in those kind of small groups. Who cares, right? If that's where we're going to go, then i got many other things I'd rather do. But But to actually... Share a little bit about what's going on in your life. And and to come together, uh, six to ten people, you know, married, single, combinations, friends from work, friends from the neighborhood, uh, I, I don't know, all men, all women, mixed. It doesn't really matter. But if, to come together over time and, to, and to, to study something and to discuss it and to share your life and to pray together, you grow close with those people. And so... We're encouraging people to grab some friends, acquaintances, neighbors, and to do this thing together this fall. So the specific ask is that for six of the seven weeks starting in the middle of September that you would make this commitment. Now, let me just say a couple things. First of all, we're doing this a little bit differently than we've done it in the past. In the past, we would say, uh, we'd go out and recruit a bunch of small group leaders, and then we'd say, if you want to be in a small group, sign up, and then we would sort of put people together. We've been told and think that this is probably the case. It's a whole lot easier to just say to people, hey, grab your friends or neighbors you know, Christians or non-Christians, maybe there's some non-Christians that would be very interested in studying the life of Christ, be open to this. Maybe there's some people that used to go to church that don't go to church anymore. Invite them to look at Christ. Just about everybody will agree that Jesus, the most influential, important, uh, powerful, fascinating person of all time, is somebody worth looking a little bit deeper at. Let's get together and you just invite them in and you host a group. And because We've got video stuff, and it's written out. It's easy to do. So we're not setting this up as much as we're saying, you got friends, you got groups, you got networks. You set it up. And if you're interested in doing that, you go out and recruit your group. And in the end, as it gets close to launch, those people that that are saying, wow, we've got some room in a group, and those people that are saying, haven't found a group to get into, we'll put people together. But right now we're just saying, look, just take some chances here and invite some people uh, into this. And the specific invitation is for six weeks. Okay? Just so you know, it's six weeks. But also so you know, it's our hope, expectation, and prayer that some of these groups will go on more than six weeks. Sherry and I were in an eight-week group that went for five years. Right? We got asked to an eight-week group, and at the end of the eight weeks, we said we should keep doing this. And that's what happened. And during the five years, we ended up with four other couples, we ended up doing life together. We became the front line of defense. Right? We did some holidays together, we did some service projects together, we took care of each other's kids. We were there when every one of us fell down in some way or another. Either a marital problem, kids getting sick, parents dying, job loss, whatever it is, life. We were there, right? In, we were 2 a.m. friends. And, and that happened, and I'm confident that that will happen out of some of these groups. But that's not what you're asking people to sign up for. You're just asking people to say, hey, let's do this for six weeks and see where it goes. Men and women, we were made for community. And this is Jesus' method and plan. But for a variety of reasons, we're not very good at it. It's not that it's hard not that hard it's just that we haven't made it a priority I want to encourage you to seriously consider this fall making it a priority if you're interested in hosting a group after the service Jamie's going to talk with those and give you ideas about expectations and resources and how all this will unfold let me pray for us Heavenly Father, I know that there are many in this room who are desperate for friends and community and 2 a.m. friends and want safe friends, want some people to go through life with. And I know there's all kinds of reasons why we can make this hard and challenging. I would pray, Spirit of God, for some uh, opportunities to take it to the next level. I would pray that you would lead and guide and direct and that some real life giving, um, honoring small groups would come together to your uh, joy and pleasure and that uh, we would see the kingdom of God grow in people's lives and, and beyond. Guide and direct, help us to be more um, who you've called us to be. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.